Have you ever wondered why it's difficult to give your attention, energy, and take action on what matters the most to you? Or to speak up with clarity from the best part of yourself? If that's you, then you're in the right place. The follow-through formula is dedicated to providing daily inspiration for you to follow through on the real you. Hello there once again, my good listening friends. This is Rick Lewis with the Follow Through Formula podcast. This is episode 38. You're about to hear a conversation that I spontaneously started by calling up a good friend who has a lifetime background in sales. Her name is Tarini Baulia, and she is always so inspiring when I get stuck on the sales activity that has to go on in any new venture. I call Tarini, and she's always good for some words of wisdom in this department. So when I told her of my being stuck and up against the hurdle of having to go out and ask for the sale right now, you're going to hear the first thing she says in response to me describing my struggle, which will give you a sense right off the bat of what kind of person Tarini is. But here's the start of our conversation after I told her what I'm up against right now. What can I do, if anything, what offering can I give today to help in any way? What are you thinking about that I can offer help? It's such a vulnerable position to be in to ask someone to buy something that you have or that you think is of value, especially if it's you and your own skills. And it's the last thing I want to do. I was thinking about this today, and then I was thinking about you and thinking, well, I could really use this conversation with Tarini and thought, well, it could be a very valuable conversation for other people to hear around follow through because in many instances, follow through requires that we sell something. If not for actual money, people need to be enrolled and engaged and we need to do that in a way that is has integrity and you're just you're someone who knows about that. Can okay. you can you just so listeners have a context just describe your sales background brief sketch of the sales channels you've come through where you got training and experience in what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah, I've had The vast majority of my career, my employment career, has been in sales. Uh, Beginning as far back as in my early 20s, I was in, started learning how to sell in, interestingly enough, the fitness industry, selling gym memberships when I was 18. And I had some old school but very fundamental training at that time from uh, one of my sales managers. And I, I just found something that really clicked for me. I'm a, I love to speak and I love to articulate and I love to use words. And so it just fell into place for me. And from there, you know, one sales job led to another. And um, I found myself eventually in uh, natural products, selling vitamins. And that was a 15-year stretch, almost 17 years in the industry, which was a real organic fit for me because I absolutely love natural medicine and organic foods and it was just hand in glove 
So that just spiraled into a variety of leadership roles until I eventually um, led, a, led a division of my company that I spent 13, 14 years with. I led a division in Canada, and that was a real kind of like an MBA in training that I got there. But um, so, yeah, I've just always been in sales, and it's it's been a love of mine. You got some experience or exposure to this gentleman, Herb, at when you were at New Chapter, and you, you've talked so fondly of him and the kind of the apprenticeship you had with him, as I understand it. What did you get from him that was so profound? Well, that's a there's that's a long answer, but I'll try to do the Reader's Digest version of that. He was just a leader that. He just embodied for me a sensitivity to service and the real heart of sales, which is, you know, just something that he really instilled in me, which was surrender and serve. So sales is really ultimately a service. And then surrendering whatever our agenda is in that setting to really listen well and become a keen listener for what it is that the our buyer, our, our would-be buyer, really needs. And then instead of selling them what we want, we become skillful at selling them what they need. And that's just a listening process. So I would say that Herb, above and beyond anything else, aside from his raucous sense of humor and his delight and his joy and his verb for life, he instilled in me that sensitivity to listen and to surrender my agenda to serve the need of the consumer or the need of our buyer. And I think the part that I see you do, the hours we've spent when I've hired you for help and what you do with me, there's a kind of, there's definitely a deep listening and a receptivity I always feel working with you. But you are also listening to yourself And the way you are with me gives me the sense that you're really being true to yourself. You're being authentic. So how can, what can you say about that aspect of listening that it's actually important that we're listening to ourselves at the same time we're listening to others. If we're going to make a connection that has a, a sales benefit, a a transfer of, enthusiasm or motivation or decision involved with it? That's a great question. Well, I'll start here. I I think what you tapped into is the transfer of enthusiasm. I could define sales in multiple ways. One is surrender and serve. That sort of captures for me the real heart of it. But it's also at its core, a transfer of enthusiasm. And I think you're tapping into something I really haven't articulated, and that is that transfer of both my authentic enthusiasm for the subject or the content or what it is I'm selling to to then light the enthusiasm or find where the enthusiasm lives or what's alive, as you might say, in the other person. So once I see that what's alive in them, then I'm hitting a nerve, so to speak. I'm touching something that matters. And once that experience starts to happen, then 
you are you are selling you you're that's where we i come to the thing where i've always said sales is the most honorable profession in the world and most maligned right sadly right because we generally speaking i would say 90 percent of the people i've ever worked with in the sales capacity inevitably bring no matter what what kind of salesperson they are what training they've had there's often a hidden negativity bias towards sales, even in the best of salespeople. There's a 10% margin. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it's 80%, but there's a good deal of people who are in sales that walk around with a hidden bias, that there's a negative connotation. And so often we edit, we massage, we, we carefully manicure the sales so that we can avoid being vulnerable. And really bringing our full um, our full self without the the editing of what is a negative connotation and I shouldn't do this and I should do that. So there's an interesting thing that happens, and I think we all have to sort of root that out. If especially if we're selling ourselves, you know, if we're selling something that we do or a service, then we must root out this negativity bias and find out what's holding us back. Um, because if what we're selling really serves another person at the heart of their need, then it's the most honorable thing we could do to bring our full self to the sale. Right. And tra- transfer that enthusiasm and get the yes, because we know, we know without any question that once the sale is made, that person is going to be served by what we have to offer. Right doesn't mean there might be some bumps along the road or some miscommunications, but inevitably what we're selling is something of profound value. And so that that's where we have to get ourselves out of the way to let that value, that exchange happen. As long as we're selling something that genuinely serves another person and uplifts them or brings them along a value that they look back and say, thank you. They're so grateful. Here's the other piece, Rick, is it's like they're so grateful. And we somehow in our self-criticism or our self-denial maybe or our our, um, belief, we forget how grateful they are that we made the effort to get out of our own way and listen so that we could position what we have to offer directly to their need. And if we, if we fail to do that, then that's unfortunate because they walk away and someone else will fill that need that maybe isn't as well suited as you would have been. But that's the trick is that there's no agenda. Like you're going, I want to, I want to really know who you are, where you're at, where you're trying to go. And then as a, a salesperson, if you're listening at that point and realizing, gosh, what I have over here, I believe could really help you with the problem you're trying to solve or the place you're trying to go, then it's just a, <laughs> it, sales, sales should be a form of friendship, of friendliness, of like just basically seeing another person and wanting to help them. It is, and it wouldn't matter if it was tires or if it was, you know, personal confidence coaching like you're offering to others. It's really the essence of that is relationship, and there is 
there's only that. And when we build on that, the only way to relationship clearly is listening and being vulnerable and speaking the truth and making the offer to fill that gap for them and, and highlighting the benefits of what they're going to receive. And I think the challenge is when you're selling yourself, um, like you or I have done and do, is then having the worth, speaking to my worth. I've transferred the enthusiasm, and then I stop that enthusiasm when I present myself worth. Right. Because I, 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 I come from that place of, you know, there's a financial number to my worth. And so that, that's been the real self-observation point for me, working in service, selling myself. To me, where the challenge comes is, like, if I have a need for them to say yes in order to feel qualified in standing for my worth, I'm in trouble. And they're in trouble. Like, we're, we're both in trouble if I, if I have to have them say yes in order for my worth to stay intact. Because oh, if, yeah. if, wow. if say I... Say that again. Say that again. I just want to hear you say that again. <laughs> so our whole, our whole, the whole thing we've just done where I've seen somebody and they've seen themselves and we've just empowered them, the integrity of what we've just developed and the value of it is going to be put at risk every time if I'm not able to stand in my worth and hear no about the actual transactional part of the conversation. That's a really great point, Rick. It's like hearing no is actually the beginning. It's like that's where we really get to know something deeper because the no is just an inquiry. There's still not enough information that, that, that they have yet to fully say yes, because when they say yes, we know there's a, on our side of the transaction or our side of the relationship, we know that we're going to offer value or, or we know that our product will indeed fill that need they have. So they're just really fielding, I need more information. So hearing no is actually really a welcome invitation because it gives me an opportunity to refine or define or clarifies a point that isn't yet fully clear. So rather than saying, hearing your, what you're saying is no, is a reflection of me, which is not the case. Right. So maturing along the sales path is looking forward to the no, expecting the no. <laughs> that seems like a tall order. <laughs> But, but yeah, but it is really the maturity along the sales path. As yeah. we mature along the sales path, we are looking for the no. We're rooting it out. We're finding out where their no lives. And in that no, we begin to really explore something much more deeply that we've only scratched the surface of. And once we get to, once we've answered that no, if we've done our job well and we know that there's a connection built here, then the obvious then, then, then the yes is the next obvious thing. Well, but how, so how do you make the distinction? Like I'm, I'm feeling that there's a way that someone could say no 
And that no would spark a degree of curiosity. Like if I'm trying to sell something and they say no, that instead of thinking, okay, this is about me, they've just rejected me, I have to go away and crawl in a hole now, that I'm immediately curious to know more about what's behind that no, because I'm still very interested in them and in helping them. So that's one way to come at it, which is what you're describing. But if I'm like on my last dollar in the bank and I have to have this sale and then I hear a no and I'm just pushing because I'm hell bent on getting them to sign a contract, regardless of whether it's a fit or not, that's that's motivation for pursuing the no or going driving past the no that isn't going to help anybody. The answer to the question is approach every circumstance with a genuine curiosity. I think that is the really important distinction here is having a, a mindset of curiosity, like curiosity in the other. So I would call it other referenced versus self-referenced. And other reference selling versus self-reference selling. And then you answered the distinction in the self-reference salesperson who comes with the $1 in their pocket and they're pressuring the individual because they need the sale. That sale's already lost. Everything about that sale is, is the, you know, is defining that's, kind of the stereotypic salesperson that we all have that negativity bias about somewhere in us, that person has given sales the bad name. And, and all of us have done it. I've done it, of course, many times. So I don't know if that answers the question, but I'm sort of meandering through it for myself. Like what is that distinction between no and a no, that's a request for more information. And there are both. Yeah. And it's our job to become skillful at knowing which is which. Right. And we make the mistake sometimes of being the salesperson who pushes through a no. And, and that's my, that's my um, lesson. That's my learning lesson to remind me how that feels when I overstep my bounds, when I push for my benefit, not theirs. And it's happened a hundred times. I can't count how many times it's happened over the course of my career. You know, it just does. And then you learn from that and you go, yeah, it's not the kind of salesperson I want to be. Right. And um, so I modify my behavior and I learn from those mistakes and I cultivate more skillful means the next time. Right. Yeah, it's so easy to fall on just one side of the equation, either always being pushy or never pushing enough. And both of those mistakes involve not seeing the other person. Because if you really see the other person, then you're going to, if they really are ready and they're, they're ripe for this benefit, then you will push, but it will be on behalf of the other person. Where does someone who, like all the the stuff I've been talking about in the episodes are about how to follow through on you, on who you really are. How do you give traction through daily action to what you're really here to do? What's your advice to the person who is just getting in touch with what's really important to them or who they really are or what they have to offer 
and just feels scared and really um, just super gun shy about expressing that in any way to anybody else. It's not a uncommon or it's more common than not that the scariest feelings are usually the ones that, that kind of give me a hint to where I need to lean or move in that direction. They often hold something really valuable in there. So if I'm thinking about starting a new adventure or a new selling something new or trying a new that gives me joy, then it, it, it's more than likely that's that's actually where I'm going to find the most reward. And inevitably that's going to require us selling something to somebody, whether it's our partner selling them on our idea that although it seems risky, I feel I have to do this and I need your support in this way or that way. And, and ask, asking for that is a, is a, is a form of selling. Right. So in the context of what we're talking about sales is that if I'm leaping off into this unknown, but it feels scary and yet the fear is really pointing to something that's really got juice in it for me, then I'm going to have to also be brave and practice selling my idea, which means just starting to transfer the enthusiasm to whoever is the first person they need to transfer that enthusiasm to. If I can ask you for an example of your own recent life leap as you're moving into copywriting. You've, you've seriously mm-hmm. taken your sales background and skills and skillful means, and now you've been really practicing and learning the art of copywriting. What are the steps you're taking, those scary first steps of putting yourself out in that respect i'm assuming it's scary for you um well totally completely (laughs) and i i just even hearing you say it it brings up all (laughs) the butterflies in my stomach you know um yeah so the, the steps i'm taking are just i would say it this way is act as if i just am taking the steps and acting as if um you know, fake it till you make it is what I was saying. <laughs> is I have to just first of all just putting myself out there on the web and contacting people I know, telling them what I'm doing now that maybe knew me in the past and I have gotten work just just by doing that. And that's been very successful. You know, or reasonably successful, not very successful, but reasonably successful. I've had success at doing that, just reaching out to people I've known in the past. And telling them what I'm doing and, and acting as if I am a copywriter. Like, I put myself out there. But the first thing I did, kind of like along the, le- the, the leaping thing that you're talking about on your podcast, is I did something crazy and I took copywriting school. Exactly the way you're describing on your podcast is I said, what do I love? You know, like, I spent 20-some years really more in sales. And now you know, and I wrote a book and, and I love writing, but I love sales writing. I love the clever slogan. I love the quick quip. I love the smart sentence, you know, the, (laughs) I'm not a novelist. 
Um, so I said, well, what can I do with all those skills? And I just said, you know, a light bulb went off in my head. And I said, what about copywriting? That's what I could do. And so I just took the life leap. And I studied an online copywriting course and just devoured every little course I could, you know, small or larger course. And I just, it lit me up. And that's where I had my, that's where I got the tip. You know, like I said earlier, it's that scarier than heck. Don't know what I'm doing. Clueless. I was aimless, clueless, uncertain, didn't have a direction, knew, all I knew, Rick, was I couldn't go back to what I had been doing. That's all I knew. And to quote, you know, one of my favorite authors, Liz Gilbert, she says, oftentimes, the only thing we do know is not this. Right. And that's all I knew was not this. Right. And, and the rest was a blank slate. Wow. No clue. Wow. And it, I just hung out in uncertainty so long and many times to a profound level of discomfort, profound, wanting to just fill that discomfort gap so fast with anything, like just fill it with a job that, and every time I tried to do that, Rick, my, my guts just turned inside out or I'd go to the job interview. That was my old, my old way of being. And, and I just felt that sick feeling in my stomach this is not it. I cannot do this again. And so with that, that's all I had. I leaped. I had a feeling, a gut feeling. And I said, this is something I could do. And boy, wouldn't that be fun? I would love that. Right. (laughs) And no clue how to do it. And then, you know, it just one thing led to another. It was that sort of you know, Hansel and Gretel, the breadcrumbs, <laughs> and just took one breadcrumb at a time. And every time I took a breadcrumb or followed that crumb in that direction, it felt right in my body. And so that's my answer to you is it just keep following the breadcrumbs to when you feel it in your body and there's a feeling in your body that this is something I enjoy and this lights me up. It may not lead to, you know, financial you know, wild financial success, but will it lead to the life I enjoy living? Will it lead to serving others with something I have to offer in the world? And I kept getting a yes. Yeah. And so I just followed each of those yeses. And there were a lot of, there still are a lot of eddies and twists and turns that are happening as we speak. But anyway, I kind of rambled off there, but that's kind of my answer is, not this, and then being very keen to listen to the to what my body knows. Right, and that is it. That's a journey of multiple benefits for me personally because I tend to go into my head and out of my body pretty quickly, and I default to my head and strategies, and so that's not my comfort zone. Is hanging out in discomfort long enough to start feeling what feels right. And trusting my feeling is more than my head, and then having discernment about what's the next step. Right. That's excellent. That's so valuable to hear the way you just described that. I love the the not this uh, checkpoint of just honoring that, and that's it's takes so much courage to do that to 
when that little feeling is coming up, that voice of no, not this, I, I'm, this is done. I feel, you know, this is over. This is not going anywhere. And the courage to just then refrain without the new thing yet, without the next step being clear. But it seems absolutely essential because if you don't make that, if you don't create that clearing in your own presence, how could you possibly, you would never have any incentive to look for the thing that's really alive. Oh, so true. Gosh, you just nailed it. It's like I kept going back to the comfortable. And it was as if every time I did it, and it wasn't like a simple thing. It was like, you know, getting on a plane and going to an interview and dressing up and arriving at the interview and, you know, being pitted against two other sales leaders in my category and coming home on the plane and and no sooner was I on the plane that, you know, it just descended on me. Like, I pray I don't get that job. (laughs) 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 Against my better wish, you know, it was like my, the the voices in my head were arguing, but you need that job. Your, your bank account's dwindling. (laughs) And then I get on the plane and I'm like, please, please, please pick somebody else. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because I I don't want to have to be the person that I don't want to have to make that decision. I would rather, and you know, I'm kind of joking with you, but there was that war in my mind though. And I remember two or three incidences where I did that, just pursuing the old thing because it's what I knew. And yet every time, Rick, I would just be a wave of like sick feeling in my stomach. I could not work in this environment again. And so it just took several times where against my own intuition, my own deep knowing that I was spinning my wheels, even applying for that role you know, sending my resume and then getting as far as, you know, to get on the plane to go to the interview, knowing I was already making, knowing that I was wasting my time, but I had to do it repeatedly until it became abundantly clear that I had to step into the complete unknown. And, you know, for many people, if they're listening to this, who it all relate they may have been the smarter individual who didn't have to do it three times (laughs) and waste everybody's time. They maybe got it on the first round. Like, no, this isn't working anymore. I need to just really step into something new. But for me, it took multiple times of doing that for me to be, have fully let go. Yeah. Stand in the presence of complete, like naked, don't know, have no clue. Where's it going to come from? watching the savings dwindle and knowing that I have all these gifts. I have all this. Here's the other interesting thing as we're talking. I had, I am probably you feel, I don't know if you feel this way, but it was this interesting conundrum, like 15, 20 years of cultivating those skills and asking myself, well, what for, you know, what for, what were they all for? And do I just give all those things up? What was so I went through a real kind of crisis of faith as well in that period of time, which is another topic for another day, but um, very essential for me. It was very much wrapped up into 
really letting go, like really, really letting go of so many layers of identification yeah. and suspending a remedy, like letting that discomfort be long enough that something new could emerge out of nothing to your earlier point like it's like that's what it takes and again i don't know who's listening or will be listening to this if at all but i have no answer for it other than it is i would say that period of my life was the most profoundly instructive yeah more so than any other period and now oddly enough rick it's like I don't know what the answer to the question is. Why all those years were they wasted? Did I, do I throw all that away? And now it's kind of emerging like, no, we bring with us that embodied wisdom, whatever it is we've done in our lifetime. And everybody has a cache of embodied wisdom. They bring with them to the next thing or the next chapter. Yes. And it's just in there. And we don't really have to think about it, but it informs the new thing somehow and always does. It informs the new thing, but the new thing informs us, you know, the new thing is educating us in new ways. And then that embodied wisdom is carried with us. Working with you, I, I just wanted to say this you had this question of what, well, what, are, you know, what about all that sales experience? Am I just walking away from it? Is it ever going to do any good? But I'll tell you what the the role it plays in your copywriting consulting is profound. I mean, the the marriage of those two skills, what you now know about copywriting and your sales background, is profound and really that whole process of um, the time that I was having you help me with my landing pages was incredible. It so helped me get clarity about what I'm doing and who I'm talking to and what I'm offering. So I just want to, in your case, um, I would say it wasn't lost at all that time. It's being put to really good use. And even for some people, I think that would just always be the case. And it's that cross-pollination. When someone moves from one domain of expertise to another, they're now becoming something that there's no competition for because there's nobody else out there who has the blend of having been, you know, a landscaper who is now an architect or... Right. You, you combine a piano you, player who's now a school teacher, or you know, yeah, you exactly. Never know this unique marriage that emerges, and that's I think you're tapping into something that I wanted to add is this is the journey of life, and the scariest parts in hindsight. If I could just remember this trick when I'm going through the scary parts, <laughs> it's like the scariest parts are always, aren't they, the richest? Yes. And it's our ability to hang out and not rush it. Like, yeah. oh, gosh, if I could learn that lesson in hindsight, it's so analogous to being pregnant. <laughs> it's like 
we want to rush to the next thing and we want to rush through the scary part to get to the good thing, right? This is why I called you. I had this feeling in my my bones today. I was like, I need to call Tarini and I think this is going to be valuable to other people. But, you know, everything you said in the last hour, but especially this last bit is just buoying me up right now in my my spirit is just like, oh, yeah, that's what I needed to be reminded of the way you just said it. So thank you so much for what you always bring. And you, you, can cut, you can cut all the other stuff out. You just want to cut to those last <laughs> 10 minutes. Anything you want to cut and edit, feel free. Um, I hope whatever we did talk about, there's something of value. I don't know. And I just really enjoy it. Thank you, Rick. Honestly, i so honored you think of me and, I, if ever we can have these conversations, I'm, I'm always buoyed up by them and, and your process too. So I'm so grateful. Thank you. Okay. Well, so good place to end there. This is episode 38 of the Follow Through Formula podcast. I've been talking to Tarini Baulia a good friend, conscious salesperson, and now copywriter, thinker, and presence lover, and person lover. You love people. That's what always comes through. That's what I always feel is I just feel so seen and accepted by you and what you do. And you've just, you've done it again today. So thank you. Thank you. And I'll be back tomorrow. So thanks everyone for listening. Take care. Hey, thanks for being here and being a die-hard listener down to the last decibel. My vision for these conversations is that you get informed and inspired to take consistent action on the real you. If these podcasts help you to do that, I'm thrilled. And if you'd like to take that work to the next level, I invite you to join me inside the Life Leap community where I'm creating a culture and a support network for those who want to pursue what matters most in their lives. To learn more, just go to gamesforconfidence.com and click on the Life Leap menu item. I'd love to see you on the inside, and otherwise, I'm sure we'll meet again in another episode.